students of prophecy have a little bit of a debate going on about what the world is going to look like right before the rapture. Is there going to be a great falling away, a great apostasy right before the end of the world kicks off? Or will there be a great move of God, a revival that sweeps across the earth just before the end times? And I was having lunch with somebody a while back and and they asked me, what what do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be a great revival or a great falling away? I said, I think it's going to be both. I think both of those things are going to happen. And I think we see it happening right now. What I think we see happening right now is that the squishy middle, it's kind of being pushed out in the church and people are having to pick a side. It's getting harder and harder to say, I'm a Christian, I, but I believe all this worldly stuff. I, I vote for all these wicked things. I'm not really obedient to Christ. You know, it's just getting harder and harder to justify that. Uh, we're seeing the days come along where people must pick a side. Are you going to follow Christ or not? You can't just be this halfway in, halfway out Christian anymore. You have to pick one. And so what we see right now is that the middle is disappearing and people are picking a side. And that's why you see so many people falling away. You're really just seeing what was always inside of them really coming to light. But also on the bright side, you see a lot of people stepping up to the plate and standing against the wickedness in their culture. And they are finding a strength inside themselves that they never knew they had. And that is what the book of Jude is about. It's about picking a side. It's saying, if you're going to live wickedly, fine, but don't say you're in a Christian, you're an apostate. And if you're going to be a Christian, what you are going to find is that you have a strength inside of you from the Holy Spirit, and it's from out of this world. I mean, literally, from out of this world. And beyond all that, this is a great book to read as we approach the end of days. However, <laughs> there's also a lot of weird things in the book of Jude. Things that are so bizarre, it's hard to see how they could be relevant to our lives right now. I mean, don't we have enough going on with, with Russia and Ukraine and Israel and inflation and, and Trump just got indicted for the 16th time and I need to think about my Christmas shopping? I mean, is this really the time to start a Bible study on the book of Jude? Well, I'd say it's the perfect time. And if you listen to the end today, I'll explain why. So grab a Bible, turn to the book of Jude, and let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about the book of Jude. And this is kind of an introductory episode, because I would like to actually use the book of Jude as a framework for where I want to go for the next few months on this podcast. Jude just mentions a lot of totally off-the-wall things, okay? And so I want to mention some of the things today that make Jude stand out from other books in the Bible. So today's kind of an introduction to all that, and then we will get more in-depth on the book in the weeks and months ahead. So today I'm just going to read the first four verses, and I, I want to talk about some of the things that makes Jude unique. So we'll just start here at verse 1. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude was written by one of Jesus's brothers. Yeah, like When I say that, his literal brothers. Um, I'm going to tell you a little secret about Mary, okay? Mary actually bore other children after the birth of Christ. Jesus had brothers. 
Now, don't tell your Catholic friends. That would just ruin their day to hear that. God actually hid this secret in the Bible by stating it openly and clearly in chapters like John 7, Matthew 12, Matthew 13, Mark 6, Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 9, or Galatians 1. It's just tucked away in all those places, so it's, you know, not everybody realizes this. And again, I don't think your Catholic friends have those chapters in their Bible. So don't go and confuse them with the facts here. But Jesus had literal brothers, and two of them were named James and Jude. And also, both of those guys wrote some books in the New Testament. The names of those books are James and Jude. I hope you're able to keep up with me so far today. All right, so here's some odd things about the book of Jude. One, it's only one chapter. Um, There's a few different books in the Bible that are only one chapter. Let me think. um, Obadiah, uh, Philemon, 2 John and 3 John, and then the book of Jude right here. Those are the only five books of the Bible that are just one chapter each. And so the way that we refer to verses in those chapters, a lot of times, instead of saying like Jude 1-1, Jude 1-2, since it's only one book, I mean, sorry, since it's only one chapter on this book, oftentimes people will say Jude 1, just meaning verse 1, Jude 5, just meaning verse 5. So that's kind of how how I'm going to do it when I say Jude 1 and 2. That's what I'm talking about as we go through this book of the Bible. Um, Here's some things I like about the book of Jude. It's a picture book. Uh, Just about every single verse in the book of Jude refers back to an Old Testament story and uses it as a picture of something that he's trying to teach us for today. So if you like picture books, this is a book of the Bible for you. Jude is a picture book. It's painting a picture with every verse and is trying to teach us some kind of New Testament truth by looking at an Old Testament story or sometimes stories that you actually can't find anywhere else in the Bible. (laughs) So we'll talk about that today in just a few minutes. Jude is also a verse-by-verse retelling of 2 Peter chapter 2. Or or 2 Peter chapter 2 is a retelling of the book of Jude. I don't know which one came first, but both of these books are were clearly like one of them was using the other one as they wrote uh, their portion. So I don't know if, if Peter wrote his books first or if Jude wrote his book first, but 2 Peter chapter 2 is like a, 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 a paraphrase of the book of Jude. So it's kind of weird how they have that synergy between them. And also we can look at both those books to understand each other better. Um, And then something else kind of unique about the book of Jude is that everything in Jude is in threes. Um, It's in sets of three, verse after verse, set of three, set of three. For example, the way Jude just introduced himself, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. So there's like three different ways by his name by who he serves and by who his brother is. Like those are three different w- different ways right there that he describes himself. And then in the same verse, he says he writes this to those who are called, beloved, and kept. And then in the next verse, he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So all these things right here, it's like in sets of three. Everything in Jude is in triplets. In fact, there are 25 triplets in the book of Jude and it has 25 verses. There are 25 groups of three in this book. And Jude also has another interesting connection with James, uh, the book of James. James is about good works as a sign of saving faith. Jude is about evil works as a sign of apostasy. And so they have kind of that weird parallel right there, too. I I was reading a book a few months back, or an interview, I mean. I was reading an interview 
about Benedict Cumberbatch. He's the actor who plays Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Strange and lots of other stuff. And and I was thinking how um, there, it, it's kind of a common name over in England to be named Benedict, but you never really see it over here in America. And, and the reason why is actually pretty obvious, because in the Revolutionary War, there was a very famous traitor, uh, a traitor to the Americans, I guess, a loyalist to England, and his name was Benedict Arnold. And so ever since then, and I guess I don't think this anymore, but as a kid, every time I heard the word Benedict, I would just think of Benedict Arnold because that you don't hear that name a lot in America. It's associated with this traitor from hundreds of years ago. So anyway, it, you go over to England, though, Benedict is a pretty common name. Um, why don't people use it in America? Well, it's kind of obvious. People don't want to name their kids after traitors. <laughs> so that name's kind of been run through the mud in America. And um, and so for similar reasons, you could probably imagine that the name Judas was not super popular in the early Christian church. Uh, but that is actually the, the full name of Jude. And he probably was going by the name Jude because he didn't want to be you know referred to as Judas. All of a sudden, that name was probably off limits. <laughs> so nobody wanted that name anymore after what Judas did. He was a traitor. So... Um, uh, the, anyway, it's kind of interesting, though. The book of Jude is a, a major theme of this book is apostasy, falling away from Christ. And it's kind of interesting that this book about apostasy was written by a guy who shared the name with like the biggest apostate in history was Judas. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting there. Um, <laughs> Chuck Missler, he had a funny quote about this. He said, people today will even name their pets after terrible Roman emperors who tortured Christians like and they'll use names like Nero or Caesar. You know, people will name their dog Nero. Um, but, but he says nobody would ever even name their dog Judas. You know, it wouldn't even be appropriate for your dog. <laughs> so nobody likes that name Judas nowadays. Um, it's kind of neat, though. You'll see a lot of Christians name their kids Jude after this book in the Bible. And I think Jude is a great name. So nothing wrong with the name. Even the Beatles had a thing for it. Okay, uh, Jude 3. Beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So what is Jude saying in verse three? He said, I wanted to write this nice, happy book about salvation and gospel and theology. You know, all those things that Paul gets to write about. Paul, uh, Jude says, I was very eager. That's why he says there, I was very eager to write about all that stuff. But... The Holy Spirit changed Jude's mind, and Holy Spirit led Jude to write about something else. So he says, I found it necessary to write. You know, he's saying, I, I wanted to write about all this happy stuff, all this theology stuff, but I, I realized I needed to write about something else instead. He needs to write to tell Christians to contend, to fight for the faith. So what is the faith that is talking about here? Well, it's, it's referring to like the the body of truth in Christianity, okay? Jude's saying, I wanted to write this, you know, this nice letter about grace and the love of God and all that, but God told me instead, I need to write about fighting for Christianity. Okay, so he's that's what he wants us to fight for, is like the, the principles, the fundamentals of our faith. Some people are going to say that truth changes, that, you know, maybe something that what's true today was not what was true 2,000 years ago. Jude says no. He says that the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. 
once for all. And then Jude 4, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude is concerned that there's like too many false teachers running around, that these men are perverting the gospel. So let's establish what a false teacher is, okay? Because that phrase, it gets, thrown a lot, it gets thrown around pretty easily, a little too loosely, I think. You know, sometimes we disagree with other Christians on some kind of minor doctrine, something, something like infant baptism, okay? Some Christians teach that it's right to baptize babies. Some teach that it's wrong. I have my own opinion on that, but I recognize there's other God-fearing Christians who have arrived at a different answer than what I have. Does that mean I'm going to call them false teachers? Uh, No, actually, no. There's Christians who just teach differently than I do on certain things. There's some Christians who think differently than I do on when you should take communion, how often you should take communion. Does that make them false teachers? No. There's Christians out there who teach differently than I do when it comes to musical instruments in the church. There are even Christians who wear Crocs and they drink eggnog after New Year's. Do any of those things make them false teachers? No, okay? Because I might strongly disagree with them about their footwear, but that does not pervert the gospel. Those things do not pervert the gospel. We reserve the term false teacher for those who teach a false gospel. Those who teach, um, those who promote lawlessness in their lifestyle. Those who say things like, hey, you're saved, so you can do what you want now. Hey, God's not mad at you. He's not mad at people anymore. He doesn't care about who you sleep with. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. Anybody can find God. When people say stuff like that, those are some of the common deceptions of today. People who teach things like homosexuality is okay, that God is pro-LGBT, or they'll make Jesus into a hippie who doesn't really care about sin, or they'll add works to the gospel. They'll say that works, they might say that works don't matter at all. They teach what's called hypergrace nowadays. They'll teach that Jesus was a created being. You know, you'd probably be surprised if you looked at a Barna poll, uh, like the, the Barna group who does these polls. They do this research and they, it's pretty frequent that people will identify themselves as Christians, but then they'll turn and say that they believe Jesus was a created being. And all of those things that I just said, those are heretical. Um, those are not secondary issues. Those are primary issues to the Christian faith. And, and they actually pervert the gospel of Christ. They deny Christ. They have you following a different Jesus or not following Jesus at all. And so Jude is going to teach us about how to handle these people and how to live in a society that believes this stuff. Now, so far, all this might sound like pretty typical New Testament stuff. Well, that's because I've only really read the first four verses of the book of Jude. It's kind of funny, like almost any devotional that you find or sermon on the book of Jude, anytime I see a quotation from the book of Jude, it's always from one of these first four verses or from the last two verses. That's because those are like the only normal parts of the book. (laughs) After that, it takes a really strange turn. And so that's what I want to talk to you about over the next several weeks. Like I said, this is kind of introductory today. Basically, the way Jude goes after this issue about false teachers, he he goes after it by opening the Bible's junk drawer. Okay, you, you guys have a junk drawer at your house. This is where you toss in all those things that you're not really sure where they go. Like, you know, you got random objects in your house and some of them are a little bit hard to categorize, right? <laughs> you're like, you're not sure what to do with them. So you just toss all those things in a random drawer 
And, and on those rare occasions that you need one of them, you go dig it out, right? Well, that is kind of like what the book of Jude is doing in our Bible, okay? It's, it's kind of like, I don't mean any disrespect with this statement. It's kind of like the Bible's junk drawer, okay? As we cover these verses in the weeks and months ahead, we're going to find some very strange and verses that just sound totally random. It's like, where did this come from? Okay, verses like Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So it's saying the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. It, what is it, hold up. What is that referring to? We're going to be talking about that. It says they are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. Okay, you can probably surmise that this is talking about hell. But I'll tell you, it's not just hell. It's a specific region within hell. And so we will study that as we come to that verse. Jude 9 says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. I'm like, whoa, I missed that class in ministry school. Like, when did an angel named Michael get into a fight with the devil over the body of Moses? That's, that is actually not a story that you read about in the Old Testament. In fact, this is really one of the most mysterious passages in the whole Bible. And so as we approach that, some of it's going to be theoretical, but I'm going to spend an episode studying what this perhaps is all about. Jude 14 and 15 say it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of, of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So it's referring to Enoch right there, specifically the, the Enoch from early on in Genesis, and he was a prophet, or at least he prophesied. Okay, he prophesied something here. It's a prophecy about the end times. Now, you're probably familiar with Enoch, because, you know, like I said, he's got that short little segment early on in the book of Genesis, He's not mentioned very much after that. But do you realize that this prophecy that it attributed to Enoch, it is not found anywhere in the pages of the Bible. And so it makes us ask the question, where did this come from? Well, Jude is actually receiving it from an extra biblical source that is called the Book of Enoch. And this book is not included within the canon of Scripture. And yet, there are actually various New Testament writers who rely on this book for information. So it's like, okay, well, does that mean Enoch should be included in the Bible? Not necessarily, but, but perhaps we should be willing to give the book of Enoch a closer look if some of the New Testament writers believed it. And so we're going to take a look at the book of Enoch on this podcast to assist in our understanding of the book of Jude. And so this is why I'm saying the book of Jude is kind of like the Bible's junk drawer, okay? It's just a lot of strange, random things. They don't really seem to belong anywhere else. And yet, Jude is going to make it all very relevant to your life today. And so I see, book, I see Jude as a book for our time. Jude is a book for the time right before the rapture, the time that we might be in right now. And so I'm going to explain why I think that as we close down in just a few moments. For now, I just want to remind you, get subscribed so that you can follow along with future episodes and also be here for the whole Jude series. The next time I'm going to be working on an episode 
called Who Are the Sons of God? And this is another thing that we need to establish before we jump any deeper into Jude. The sons of God are this cast of characters that's mentioned in Genesis 6. They're actually mentioned all throughout the Bible. And they play an important role, though, in the pre-flood world. And it's going to help us to understand why God had to do something as drastic as flood the entire planet in Genesis chapter 6. So we're going to start getting into all that over the next several weeks. And and that's going to bring us back to the book of Jude pretty soon as well. And in the meantime, what kind of weird stuff in the Bible do you want to know more about? You can send me an email or get in contact for any reason by sending an email to weirdstuffinthebible at gmail.com. We had a response recently from Joe in North Carolina. And he mentioned here, uh, Michael took Moses's body, likely to prevent the corruption of the grave. Moses will be fresh and rested for his possible coming performance in Jerusalem. And so I would say, yeah, that is my main theory as well. And whenever we get there in the Jude study, I plan to lay all that out. And so, and Joe also tipped me off about the six-fingered giants of Lovelock Cave. And so I will research that very soon as well. So thank you to Joe. Uh, And in closing, I'll just say, I believe that Jude is about the world right before the rapture. In fact, I think that's why it's the last book before Revelation. I don't think that's by chance. I think that it is by God's intended design. Revelation is about the end of the world. Jude is about the world right before the end of the world. Okay, so in other words, if the rapture is next year, the book of Jude is about this year. If the rapture is five years from now, Jude is about today. And Jude is kind of weird. But we're living in weird times. And speaking of weird, let me remind you here, the Bible is not weird. We are weird because we can't quite make sense of all these things in the book of Jude. But soon, we will. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 